I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Nin Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and we are coming to you live on this Sunday night, 10pm UK time, ready to react, ready to reflect, ready to look back on what was a really significant win for the Gunners. Another step towards the dream, another step towards the Premier League title. We're not there yet and there's a hell of a long way to go, but there are just 11 matches remaining. And Arsenal remain five points clear of Manchester City at the top of the table. The pressure was on the Gunners uh, today because Manchester City uh, went to Crystal Palace last night, a game I covered, a game I watched really, really closely. They managed to come away with all three points without actually playing all that well. A penalty gifted to them uh, by Michael Elise, a moment of madness at the back for him. But that was enough to give Manchester City the lead, a lead that they managed to hold on to. And as a result of that, they closed the gap on Arsenal to just two points ahead of the Gunners' trip to Craven Cottage, which I think a lot of us felt was going to be tricky. A lot of us looked at this Fulham side, how they've performed this season, where they find themselves in the table, and thought of this particular cluster of games that we currently find ourselves in, this was one of the most difficult fixtures. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was kind of mapping out sort of... Um, the recent series of games, this was a game that I looked at and went, well, if we got a point here, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I think my prediction on the preview show was a 2-1 Arsenal win. So my confidence did kind of grow as we got closer and closer to the game. But then on the morning of the game, you always feel like nervous. You always feel like shit. You always feel nervous. You always feel panicky. You always think, what if? And um, and so if I was going to say to you guys that I travelled down to Craven Cottage earlier today, uh, in a really positive mood, believing wholeheartedly that Arsenal were going to have as easier afternoon as they did, I'd be lying. I thought it would be much tougher than that. And um, that's partly, I think, because Arsenal were immense. Arsenal were fantastic, particularly in that first half. And we'll come on to talk about the ins and outs of the performance. But I also think that Fulham in that first half were really, really poor as well. Um, that's nothing that we can control. We have to take advantage of teams that come up against us that maybe aren't at their best. We have to um, take our chances when they come along. And the truth is, you could maybe make an argument we didn't even do that because Arsenal should have been 5-6-0 up at halftime. It was three and that was enough, but it could have been five. It could have been six. There's no question about that. But look, I don't want to take anything away from Arsenal. That's not what I'm doing. But I, I was... If I take my Arsenal hat off for a minute, and I was reporting on the game, so if I take my Arsenal hat off for a minute, I think a lot of those goals, as great as they were for Arsenal in terms of the way they came about, they were really poor goals to concede. And I don't think we should overlook that in our analysis here this evening. Um, let's say a few hellos because there's plenty of you uh, in the live chat. Uh, good to see uh, so many of you with us uh, at this late hour. Uh, not our usual time slot. I've had a lot of problems over the last uh, few weeks trying to stick to regular time slots just because work has been crazy busy, uh, which isn't a bad thing. But I'm conscious that um, it's not ideal for you guys. I know a few of you have kind of sent me messages over the last few weeks saying, mate, do your thing. Keep going. Do what you're doing. Not a problem for us. But, you know, this is my baby. And, and it does 
get on my nerves a little bit that I can't be as consistent with the timings as I'd like. But anyway, we're here now. And if you're listening on audio tomorrow or the day after, you probably don't give a shit uh, about what time we went live. So I apologize uh, for wasting your time, I guess, at the beginning of the pod. But anyway, uh, let's dive into it. Big hello to Richie. Uh, he says, Harry's delaying the start of the show as he needs to put his vodka in a mug, making it look like tea. I'm not going to lie, mate. I'm on the old Apple Tangos tonight. That's a proper drink, that is. Uh, a little throwback. Every time I kind of go into like a sweet shop or a, like an off-license, I always have a look in the, the sort of drink section and go, what haven't I had in a long, long time? Like, what's the most random drink that uh, tickles my fancy? And today, it was Apple Tango. So there you go. Uh, Temi Ola describes uh, what happened today as domination. Uh, big hello to Nav, to Daniel, who says, hello, Harry, mate. I'm really starting to believe, man. Um, Richie said, Harry, um, they missed William. He's been a pest this year. Uh, big hello to Creambone Trev, who says, evening, Harry, evening chat. We're winning the league. Uh, Trevor says, good night, Harry. Uh, we've got Simranjit in the chat. We've got uh, Wandering Minstrel. Uh, who else have we got? We've got so many people. Uh, we've got Abdi in there. We've got uh, Brady. Uh, we've got Richie. We've got Christos as well, um, who says he's new to the page, uh, new to the channel. Welcome, my friend. Uh, subscribe. Check it out. Um, big hello to Henry, to uh, Rob as well, who joins us. Uh, the most important factor for the next 11 games. No party, no party. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just been immense, isn't he? He's just been unbelievable. And the way he just dominates midfields, not just on the ball, but off it as well. I really feel comfortable with Thomas Partey in the team when it comes to defending the transitional situations as well that in the past have been a big, big problem for us. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's so key. I mean, and, and the other thing as well, like, obviously, we're going to come on to talk about the fact that Gabby Jesus returned today, which is massive for Arsenal. You know, it really, really is. At the start of the season, I'd have said to you the two players that we couldn't afford to get injured were Thomas Partey, who we've been out with, uh, who we've been without, I beg your pardon, for a few weeks. And then, of course, uh, Gabby Jesus, who we've been out with for a number of months now. To have them both back now um, and to still be, I mean, go back to when Jesus got injured, right? Prior to the World Cup we had a five-point lead over Manchester City. And if you fast-forward through time, through all the time that Gabriel Jesus was absent, we've managed to maintain that lead. Okay, we grew the lead at one point, and then we had it pulled back. But we're in the same position in terms of the distance between ourselves and Manchester City, despite having gone three, four months without our top striker. And, and I didn't think that we were capable of that. And that's a testament to, not just to Mikel Arteta, but to the players that have come in and have stepped up. You know, Eddie and Ketia did a really good job for a while. Started to go off the boil a little bit. In comes Leandro Trossard. What a difference he's made. Gabriel Martinelli has filled in in that position in recent weeks too. He's been brilliant, sensational. So it's a real um, sort of indication of where we are as a collective now. We're a lot stronger. Uh, we've got different options. And, um, and, you know, this team is just going from strength to strength. And it is truly wonderful to see um how was my day today um yeah it was interesting um trip down to the cottage is always good fun um you know i know a lot of arsenal fans do the kind of boat trip before the game i've never actually done that um i was thinking about it uh, the other day 
I've only been I'd only been to the cottage once before this season, and it wasn't even to watch an Arsenal game. It's a fixture that is notoriously difficult to get tickets for. A lot of the London derbies are, but this one in particular, where you don't get a massive allocation, is quite tough. Um, I was there today in a work capacity, so I didn't have to worry about the ticket thing. Um, but again, as I've said to you guys many times in recent weeks, as good as that is and as great as the press facilities are and as privileged as I am to be doing my job and covering football matches, I've done two Premier League games this weekend. I mean, that's what dreams are made of, right? Uh, you know, it's fantastic. But there is a part of me that always looks over to the away section when I'm not in there and thinks, oh, I wish I was there. And I, and I felt that today. I, I really did. You know, you can't get up and start singing Saliba chants or um, we are top of the league in the press section. So it does take a little bit away from the experience. But generally, my experience today of Craven Cottage was really cool. Uh, drove down, uh, parked the car locally, walked along the riverbank, made our way um, towards Craven Cottage. Lovely little ground, by the way. You know, it's one of those grounds that, has still got the character uh, that, you know, you associate with sort of some of the older football grounds. Um, but he's obviously in the process of being modernised. The riverbank stand, the riverside stand, I think they call it, um, looks sensational. I think it looks fantastic. And the rest of the stadium, pretty tidy too. I was in the section where they still have the old wooden seats in the press box. And... Um, I mean, when I got there, I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, I even took a picture of the seats like to to send to my mates. Like, look how traditional this is. This is fantastic. But I'll tell you one thing. After about 15 minutes, they bloody start to hurt your ass. Uh, and I certainly felt that today. Um, but yeah, look, as I say, traveling down to the game today, I wasn't completely confident that Arsenal were going to go there and win. And obviously we'd heard in the build-up that Jesus and Trossard were in contention, as was reported by Charles Watts. That gave people a bit of a lift and that gave people a bit of a boost. I don't think anybody thought in their wildest dreams that Gabriel Jesus was going to start the game. I didn't even think that Leandro Trossard was going to start the game. I wondered if he was going to be called upon from the bench in the event that we really needed him. But he passed a late fitness test. Um, myself and the other sort of radio broadcasters got to speak to Mikel Arteta down by the tunnel uh, post-match. And Mikel highlighted the fact that he thought himself that Trossard was probably still going to be out for seven to 10 days um, after uh, after sort of picking up the injury that he did. And that, you know, he was so pleased with Leandro's efforts to get fit quick and obviously the medical team's efforts to, to help that and to facilitate that. And obviously he'd be delighted because he's come into the team and had a massive, massive impact. I would go as far as saying what we witnessed today at Craven Cottage. I might as well call it the Leandro Trossard show. Man of the match, fully deserved, had a hand in every single one of Arsenal's goals, um, probably should have scored one himself as well. Um, and that has impacted my player ratings over on the Another Slice platform for the Chronicles of Aguna's members. Uh, the link is in the description if you want to check that out. We dropped that uh, episode a little bit earlier on. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, as far as performances go, when you think about the impact, I think he's, has anybody else? assisted three goals in the first half of a match? I'm not sure. Probably not. Can't think of anybody off the top of my head. And Arsenal breaking all sorts of records. You know, that's that's amazing. That's where we're at today. First side ever to win five London derbies without conceding a goal. It's unbelievable. 
You know, this team just constantly progresses, constantly develops. Every test, pretty much every test, there have been some that we failed, but pretty much every test we've come across, Arsenal have passed it with flying colours. And yeah, there have been moments where we've ridden our luck a little bit and there have been moments where, um, you know, we've we've had the rubber, the green, etc., etc. But it's part and parcel of it, right? That's That's how football goes. How did the performance go overall in terms of sort of, what was the pattern of the match? We'll, we'll do that. We'll do some individuals. Uh, we'll also do some of your questions and thoughts a little bit later on as well. But before uh, I do the pattern of the game bit, is that what I'm going to call this section? I don't know. Anyway, uh, please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already and subscribe uh, to the channel if you're brand spanking new. There's over a couple of hundred of you with me live right now. Just 67 likes on the board, though. Let's get that up to 100 uh, ASAP. But yeah, so obviously the game kicked off. Trossard through the middle. Martinelli from the left. Saka from the right. Everywhere else, we were pretty much full strength. And um, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, look, nice day, decent conditions. I want to see Arsenal play their football. I want to see Arsenal uh, play with a bit of zip and a bit of tempo and and really start the game fast. And I don't think Arsenal did that, to be honest with you. Not from a lack of trying, but I thought they just struggled a little bit at the start to find their rhythm. And there was a few wayward passes. And even when the passing was accurate, it just felt like a lot of it was across our back line. We weren't really able to penetrate Fulham's lines as much as we wanted to. Certainly didn't create any chances. I remember doing sort of my first update on the radio around about 15 or so minutes into the game. And it was there was no shots. Neither side had had a shot at goal. Pretty uninspiring stuff, I think is what I called it at the time. Um, and then obviously Arsenal play probably one of their first uh, real interesting moves of the game. Granit Xhaka plays Gabriel Martinelli in behind. He has a shot from the angle, really good save from Bern Leno. And Anthony Robinson, who was back defending uh, for Fulham, unfortunately for him, uh, gets kind of caught in the crossfire. The rebound off of Leno's save comes off of him. He can't really do much about it. And it ends up in the back of the net. And Arsenal are celebrating an opening goal or what we thought was an opening goal. Uh, only for the VAR to step in and correctly rule it as offside. But my worry at that point was not necessarily that I didn't think Arsenal had it in them to go and create more chances or that I thought this was going to decide the match. My worry was that up until that point, the Craven Cottage crowd had been really flat, like really, really flat. Like I'd, I'd been told going there that it wasn't the most atmospheric of grounds in the Premier League. And you know, I, I understand that. And, you know, at times our ground hasn't been all that atmospheric. But this is a remarkable season that Fulham are having. So I expected a little bit more than what I saw. Um, you know, you'd have thought they would have backed their team a little bit more from the start, created a bit more noise um, and maybe set the tone as to how the game was going to go or, or given their team that extra sort of 10, 15 percent that you can get from the crowd. Uh, in their efforts to kind of obviously try and, and get their noses in front or stifle an Arsenal side that have been pretty damn good on the road this season. The first real time I think they got involved in the game, it was pretty much the last time as well, but the first real time I thought they got involved uh, in the game and, and I started to look around me and think, yeah, you know what, hold on, this place could kind of spark into life, was when that goal was ruled out. Now, VAR is a, is a really sort of interesting thing. We have debates about it every week. Was that decision right? 
Was this decision wrong? Is it taking the fun out of football? Does it kill the atmosphere at grounds because of the delays that we get? Are people reluctant to celebrate goals? All of that stuff. But actually, what it did was create a spark point for the Fulham fans. It didn't really last, um, you know, because obviously shortly afterwards we went and broke the deadlock for real. But um, it just, it gave them something to kind of galvanise them. And I remember sitting there going, oh my God, um, you know, they haven't done anything in this game just yet. But us having that goal ruled out could actually spark Fulham into life. Certainly spark some of the fans, particularly behind that goal into life. But fortunately, uh, we were able to kind of keep our heads, stay focused for the, the next few minutes. And then, uh, obviously, we got the breakthrough through Gabriel uh, at centre-half. I mean, what a record he's got against Fulham, by the way, as a football club. Uh, got that goal in, I think, was it his first game? I think it was his first game, wasn't it, in Arsenal Colours? Powered home ahead of that. They scored the winner, as we talked about in the preview show uh, earlier on this season, and then gets another one today. And when I said at the start of the show that I felt that Arsenal were were brilliant, but at the same time, there were a lot of things, particularly around the goals, that I think Fulham will look at and be extremely disappointed with. The first goal is what I'm kind of really referring to, and the second as well, but more so the first for me, because the second one was a, a, a sort of an individual in Anthony Robinson losing a duel to Gabriel Martinelli, getting out thought, the cross caught him out, and he couldn't stop him from sort of slightly getting off the ground and then nodding it goalwards. But the first one was a corner in from Arsenal's left-hand side, Leandro Trossard's delivery, and the ball is dropped right on the edge of the six-yard box, like literally right on the edge of the six-yard box. As a collective defensive unit, you have got to be dealing with that. You have absolutely got to be dealing with that. If we put it the other way around, if that was at our end, I'd be livid. I'd be livid that my centre-halves didn't deal with it. I'd be livid that my goalkeeper didn't deal with it. I think there are a, there's a catalogue of errors when it comes to Fulham's defending around that goal. But fair play to Gabby because you still got to get there. You still got to get on the end of it. And he does that and he heads home and puts Arsenal in front. And from that moment on, it really, really was um, one-way traffic, wasn't it? It was so dominant from Arsenal. You felt like that goal had sparked Arsenal into life. And we've talked a lot about the set pieces recently, haven't we? Defensively, especially. We've talked about the fact that we've gone off the boil a little bit in that sense. We haven't been as good, as, as effective, as efficient, et cetera, et cetera, um, from a defensive standpoint. But we'd also dropped off a little bit from an attacking standpoint, where particularly at the start of the season, set pieces could be something that won us football matches, you know, and, and that's not something you traditionally say of Arsenal, certainly not during the Wenger days and post that. But now we're in a place where even when we're not playing very, very well, we have that weaponry from a set piece. And if we can get our noses in front, that can galvanise the team and that can, um, you know, spark everybody into life. And that's exactly what that goal did today. Arsenal weren't playing great up until that point, but what was to follow from 21 minutes on right up until half time was some of the best um football I've seen from Arsenal in a long time and and you know I feel like we're saying that all the time this season because there have been so many examples of those wonderful sweeping counter-attacking moves uh, and we went on to see a couple more of those it took just five minutes for Arsenal to find the second again Leandro Trossard involved down the left-hand side 
And his cross is a really interesting one because it's it's not that deep in that where it drops um, says that. It was kind of a weird cross from Trossard that's sort of speaking to my brother after the game. And we were talking about the fact that it sort of went really, really high up and then just all of a sudden dropped. And it dropped on Martinelli, who was in a position to kind of protect the ball from Anthony Robinson, who just couldn't get the other side of him. And Martinelli has an easy header in the end um, to uh, to double Arsenal's lead. And then there were chances. You know, there was the one that Xhaka missed. Wonderful build-up play. Lovely step over the ball from Xhaka to let it run to Trossard. The pair combined. And Xhaka gets through on goal. And what happens, as far as I could tell, he just couldn't make his mind up. He just couldn't work out what it was he wanted to do there. It just took him too long. And in the end, he did nothing. He just let the ball knock off of his shins and roll into the arms of a grateful Bern Leno. There was the Trossard chance. He fired wide. Martinelli had one coming in at the far post. But Arsenal did get their third goal right on the stroke of halftime when again, surprise, surprise, Leandro Trossard picked out Martin Odegaard on the far side. He brought it down beautifully, stepped inside, kept his composure, didn't panic, didn't snatch at it. But when he got into the position to let fire, um, you know, he he struck it with venom, but also with incredible accuracy. And um, and that put the game to bed. And the second half was really, really different after that. Not in a bad way. Fulham had a couple of opportunities at the start of the half. The Cordova reads shot, saved by Ramsdale. Mitrovic's header hit the crossbar. But that was Fulham huffing and puffing. And they had to. They had to come out and give some sort of response. We spoke to Marco Silva after the game and he was visibly pissed off by the performance he saw from his side. He was really annoyed about it. Um, he called it the worst performance of the season. He said that that first half was shocking. Um, one of the reporters put it to him that, you know, missing João Palinha has been a big thing. And, um, you know, was that kind of the reason that, not in so many words, but you know, insinuated that that was the reason that Fulham weren't at their best. And to be fair to Marco Silva, he said, no, no, it's not an excuse. You know, this happens. You know, you can't use one individual player as an excuse. We weren't good enough. And he, he, he sort of wanted to focus on the players that were out there, which was interesting. But I mean, when you look an opposition manager in the eyes and you can see that he's defeated, like literally like feels like he's had uh, a truck drive over him because of how dominant the opposition were on his own patch kind of gives you this weird uh, feeling as an Arsenal fan, satisfying feeling, but it is a little bit weird because you're almost reveling in their, um, in their misery. And I don't have a problem with Fulham. I don't have anything against them, but yeah, it was just, um, it was interesting to see his reaction. Uh, he didn't want to take anything away from Arsenal, but he did want to highlight how poor he thought his team were. And again, you know, that's a testament to what Arsenal went there and did today. Um, I mean, look, Leandro Trossard, for me, was a signing that people looked at at the time and went, not sure about that. You know, I don't really know if that's going to work. Uh, you know, people thought about the fact that, you know, we'd been linked with, for example, Mikhailo Mudrik. And I think that led to people just feeling a little bit underwhelmed uh, by the Trossard signing. And, you know, I can understand that, you know, Mikhailo Mudrik was someone very highly rated, someone that uh, people have been talking about all around the world. It looked like he was headed for Arsenal. He was flirting with Arsenal, et cetera, et cetera. And then 
it became very clear that that deal was just not going to happen, that Arsenal weren't going to be able to make that deal happen. Um, they weren't going to be able to get it over the line or they weren't willing to go as far as Chelsea were uh, to get that deal done. I know that Dario Cerner of Shakhtar has come out and suggested that, uh, you know, it was only Chelsea because that's where Mudrik wanted to go. I don't think so. Um, you know, and, and Leandro Trossard, my only reservation about him was nothing to do with quality because we all know that he's got bags and bags of it. You know, we've seen it over the years at Brighton and Hove Albion. We all know uh, what he can produce. We all know that he is someone who um, has the ability to, you know, to go out and win football matches on his own. You know, he's that good. But obviously the way things ended at Brighton, there were concerns for me about his attitude, about his application maybe. Um, it, it appears that that was because he didn't want to be at Brighton because he's come to Arsenal and he's been fantastic. And I'm just looking at his record here. Um, he played eight minutes against Manchester United on his debut when he came off of the substitutes bench. Looked really, really lively that day. Uh, he played 31 minutes at the end of the defeat at Goodison Park. Uh, then he played, obviously, the home game against Brentford in which uh, he scored a goal. Um, so that was his first goal and only goal in Arsenal colours in the Premier League. Um, then uh, he played 14 minutes away, uh, sorry, at home to City. And then he played 68 minutes away at Leicester. Didn't really have a great impact in that Leicester game. Uh, sorry, in the Villa game, I beg your pardon. But at Leicester, he got an assist. Against Everton at home, he registered an assist. And today against Fulham, he managed three assists. So he got five, he's got five assists and a goal in his Premier League appearances for Arsenal so far. That is some return, isn't it? And for a player that we paid approximately, according to Transfermarkt anyway, 24 million euros for, so around about 20 million pounds, that is pretty good going. That is a fifth of what? Shakhtar were looking for for Mikhailo Mudrik and what has Mikhailo Mudrik produced for Chelsea so far which is not to shit on the guy and say that he's not going to turn out to be a great player but he's not scored a goal yet um, for Chelsea he's got one assist in the Premier League that is it that is literally it so again Mudrik will get there probably but he isn't there now and what Arsenal needed when they brought Leandro Trossard in was someone to come in now and impact the team. Someone who could come in, support us in the wide areas where we were lacking at that point really, really badly. But also someone who could play anywhere across the front line and help us. And Leandro Trossard has really helped us in that centre forward position in recent weeks because, uh, of course, uh, you know, Eddie Nketi has picked up an injury. Uh, Gabriel Jesus has been out, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, at 20 odd million quid, it just made a lot of sense. And Leandro Trossard has probably already repaid that fee based on what he's produced on the pitch so far. He's a, he's a game changer, as Richie says in the chat. And, and that's the kind of player that we really, really need. And, and I'm delighted that we've got him also really interesting. I think the way he combines with Gabriel Martinelli it just feels to me like him and Martinelli are, are on the same wavelength. They understand each other. In a similar way to the way that Martinelli and Jesus understand each other, I think when Jesus got injured, we didn't just lose Gabriel Jesus. We lost the Gabriel Martinelli that was thriving alongside him. And he went for a little bit of a dip. Yes, the last few weeks, his performances have picked up and that's been great. 
But I think a lot of that has been because he's been able to play with Leandro Trossard, um, who I think has made a hell of a lot of difference. So it, sometimes you find players that just click with one another and you find players that um, understand each other, have this kind of natural understanding that communication is obviously key, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think with with Trossard and Martinelli, we've got a really effective combo there. They can interchange positions as well, which is massive. Um, and, and, you know, it just shines a light on the fact that maybe Martinelli just struggled a little bit with Enketia, who is a little bit more static in his positioning in that he isn't going to drift left. He isn't going to drift right as much. He will try and do it to, to a degree um, if that's what the manager instructs, but he just doesn't do it as naturally as a Jesus or as a Trossard. And so I think Martinelli suffered a little bit from that as well. I want to give Granit Xhaka a massive shout out too, uh, because I thought he, especially in the first half, was sensational. I thought he was fantastic. Leandro Trossard was obviously the standout player going in at the break, but Granit Xhaka wasn't far behind him. He was so creative in that half space, stepping over balls, pinging out passes to the left, nice and early, switching the play across field. He, he did so many positive things on the ball at Granit Xhaka and um, and he was a big part as to why we were able to sort of break down Fulham and then continue to slice through them with a lot of ease. Also gives you a lot defensively Granit Xhaka. He's one of the mature players in this team, one of the leaders in this team and um, again a bit like um, a bit like what we were talking about um I've completely lost my trail of thought. <laughs> um, a bit like when we were talking about uh, sort of being on the transition. I think that's what I was going to say. Um, Granite Xhaka, it just helps us to protect ourselves in that situation as well because his instinct, despite playing further forward, his instinct quite often is to, to drop back into certain spaces. And I think that really helps us when Zinchenko gets caught inside as well. I think that's what I was going to say. I can't even... I lost my trust. So bad. That's the problem with doing a live podcast. So bad. I got distracted by something else that popped into my head, said hello, and then ran away out the back door. But anyway, um, Granit Xhaka, fantastic performance. Really, really enjoyed what I saw from him. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, um, obviously, I've mentioned him already. Uh, I've talked about Gabriel, the centre-half, but there's another Gabriel that I want to touch on because he returned from injury today. And I mean, what a smile. Um, you, it's infectious, isn't it? Like you're, you're watching him warm up. He just looks so pleased to be there. Everyone within the camp was delighted to have him, uh, delighted to see him there, delighted to um, sort of welcome him back. And and when he came on, I thought he looked really, really sharp, a lot sharper than um, than what I thought he would be, given how long he's been out for. I just wonder if he's been in full training for a little bit longer than Arsenal let on. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably uh, true. I, I would guess that that's true. And if they've done that, fair enough. You know, that's what they feel is the right thing to do. Then good, do it. Um, yeah, it's um, it's great to have him back. It's great to see him looking sharp. He's spun away from a couple of players. Not great to see that he still struggles to finish uh, really good chances because he did miss a glorious opportunity put on a plate for him by Fabio Vieira. But just to have him back is a massive boost to this group. It's like that old Wenger thing, isn't it? When he used to say, when a player had come back from a long-term injury, well, it's like having a new sign-in. It certainly feels like that with Jesus. And um, 
yeah, you know, fingers crossed we can sort of build up his minutes. Don't know if he, he starts against Sporting on Thursday or if he's earmarked for half an hour, for example. I don't know. You know, the, the, that's down to the medical team and Gabby to kind of let them know how he's feeling, um, you know, how his body's recovered, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, he is... Um, he is on his way back and and that is going to be a massive boost for us because, you know, we did lose a lot when he dropped out of the team. Not necessarily in terms of goals because Eddie and Ketia was in a much richer vein of goal scoring form, but we lost something in our build-up. We lost the movement. We lost an unpredictability. Trossard has restored some of that, but now we have them both. Now we have different options. Now, if you want to give Gabby Martinelli a rest, you can. Because you can stick Leandro Trossard on the left. If you want to give Bukayo Saka a rest, which he desperately, desperately needs, by the way, then you can play with Martinelli, with Trossard and with Jesus uh, once he gets back up to speed. And Enketi is still to come back too. Emil Smith-Rowe's in the picture. Reese Nelson is in the picture. Fabio Vieira is getting better and better with each passing week. So the outlook is really, really positive for Arsenal at the moment. It really, really is. I mentioned the rest that I think Bukayo Saka needs. Um, and uh, Tony in the comments says, Saka was a bit off today. Um, he was muscled off the ball a few times and his passes went astray. Do you think he was tired? I didn't think he was bad today, but I certainly agree when you say that he was a little bit off. Um, he, he wasn't at his brilliant best. I've said it time and time again in recent weeks. I think there's a, we've got a problem now, whereas... In the past, Bukayo Saka was kind of left to his own devices by opponents uh, because he was young and he was a little bit raw. But as his reputation's grown and as he's developed into a much better player, he now becomes one of the main focuses uh, when it comes to setting up defensive game plans. And he's struggling at times to get free of players, to find spaces. Every time he gets the ball, he's got two, three players around him. And that's not easy to handle. To his credit, most of the time this season, he's been able to find a way. And he's been able to impact games regardless of that. But um, I agree with you that he was a little bit off. But it's not a concern for me. I'm not worried about his form. I'm not worried about the things he's doing. I'm not worried about his attitude or anything like that. I just think he's running on empty. And, you know, if, for example, um, you know, Mikel Arteta feels that that he can do this and get away with this against Sporting on Thursday... I would probably leave Saka. Actually, I would. I'm going to go as far as saying I would leave him out on Thursday from the beginning anyway. Um, don't know exactly who my front three would be at this point. Don't think I'd start Jesus either. But, you know, Nelson's about Trossard's come back into fitness. Can he play 60 minutes or so? It's going to be interesting to see how Mikel Arteta manages all the players' individual loads. But, yeah, it, I think if at all possible, Mikhail Saka needs a rest on Thursday night because he is just at risk of burning out a little bit, isn't he? He's played so many games. Unbelievable. Uh, Craig in Fort Lauderdale says, what a win today, driving home from celebrating Magic Mike's birthday in Orlando. Hope you're well, Harry. I'm good, mate. Thank you uh, so, so much for the kind donation. Hope you're well. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Mike's birthday as well. And uh, drive safe, my friend. Good to see you uh, in the live chat. Okay. Um... Who else? What else did I want to talk about? Clean sheet. Always good to get a clean sheet. Aaron Ramsdale, I think, now leads the race for the Golden Glove in terms of the most clean sheets in the Premier League this season, which is obviously brilliant. 
Um, and as I mentioned to you guys earlier, first side ever to win five London derbies without conceding a goal. Five away London derbies, that is, um, without conceding a goal. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive from Arsenal, who, uh, as I keep saying, have been really, really enjoyable to watch on the road this season and have got some fantastic results. Of late, we've had a, a couple of issues at home. Uh, you know, obviously, we struggled against Bournemouth. We struggled to break down that low block for a long time. We struggled to break down that Everton low block for a while. But then once we did, the floodgates opened. Um, Newcastle United, another good example of a team that came to the Emirates Stadium this season and made life difficult for us. And that's just something we're going to have to deal with. And we're going to have to deal with it more at home because teams naturally, when they're away from home, will go that little bit more negative and will go that little bit more cautious in their approach. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we seem to thrive away from home at the moment. And we've got some big away games to come. Obviously, Liverpool still. Uh, Newcastle still. Uh, we've still got to go to Manchester City. We've got Chelsea to come to Emirates Stadium. So although I'm sort of sitting there exchanging texts with my mates and God knows who else, saying, you know, 11 games to go, 11 games to go. Make no mistake about it. There are a lot of difficult games to come. And that's why I'm not getting carried away. But with each passing week, the confidence grows with each passing week. You start to believe that little bit more. And why wouldn't you? Why shouldn't you? Um, you know, Arsenal are in a wonderful position. And as I said, we've still got the five-point lead that we had going into the World Cup, despite having to had to deal with some long-term injuries to some really, really key players. But here we are. And hopefully we can push on in the final stretch. Um, that kind of summarises my thoughts uh, on today's game. I don't think we saw anything particularly different from a tactical perspective. So I'm not sure that's worth uh, sort of breaking down. I think it was pretty much as you were. We saw the Mikel Arteta system in full flow. Um, you know, Zinchenko coming inside, Gabriel shifting across, uh, Saliba shifting across too, Ben White playing like a right-sided centre-back at times. Ben White was um, was an interesting one for me because I thought that Although I thought he had a pretty good game defensively, he just didn't get forward as much as he normally does. Certainly in the second half, that might be down to the fact we were 3-0 up. But um, yeah, you know, just if I'm being hypercritical, didn't think he offered much going forward today. Um, should we just run through the entire team just briefly? Aaron Ramsdale uh, made a really good save in the second half, almost gifted Fulham a goal though in the first half. A little bit frustrating, but I suppose he's asked to play that way and, and you're going to get that from time to time. Thankfully, we didn't get punished for it. I mentioned Ben White just there. I thought Saliba and Gabriel were superb. Uh, Saliba dealing very, very well with the physical battle that Alexander Mitrovic obviously um, just drags you into, whether you want to be in it or not. Uh, I thought Gabriel did a really, really good job alongside him too, covering that Zinchenko area or left-back area as he uh, steps into midfield. Never an easy task, but Gabriel makes it look easy a lot of the time. Gabriel also had an interesting little kick out, didn't he, uh, Mitrovic? It was a challenge, but it was a sort of kick into the back of the legs of Mitrovic in the second half. The pair had had a couple of, um, had a couple of uh, sort of um, tussles during the afternoon, didn't they? Or at least an exchange of words. I certainly saw that uh, happening on a regular basis, both wind-ups. Well, no, Mitrovic is a wind-up and Gabriel gets wound up very bloody easily. Uh, Zinchenko stepped into midfield, as you'd expect, uh, pretty frequently, but wasn't as um, effective, I don't think, as he can be. But I think a lot of that is because of Arsenal um, 
or, or the way Arsenal's main attacks came about, many of which were on the transition. And that means sometimes you bypass players and, and it felt like he was bypassed on a few occasions. Thomas Partey, um, unbelievable player, uh, gives you everything in that midfield, the best centre midfielder in the league for me uh, in that type of sort of deep line position. And, um, you know, I know some people say Casemiro who got sent off today again. Uh, so I don't know that Casemiro is good for much outside of serving suspensions. But anyway, uh, people will talk about him. People talk about Rodri. I just think Thomas Partey right now, the level at which he's performing is right up there also. Uh, Odegaard uh, obviously got the goal. Uh, really lively in possession. Really tidy touches around the penalty area. Always looks like he can make something happen. And obviously got the third goal. Another goal for Martin Odegaard, who is having a really, really good uh, goal scoring season. And for a player of that position or a player who plays in that position, you'd expect him to be able to get into the right areas pretty often. Uh, one of the things I had a bit of an issue with when it came to Martin Odegaard last season was a lack of goals. You know, if I break this down now, um, just on my uh, I'm looking at another screen. I'm not looking the other way or ignoring you. Uh, but if I go back to the 21-22 season, right? So in the Premier League, Martin Odegaard, during that campaign, he managed seven goals and four assists, right? Seven goals in 36 appearances and four assists. If you take that onto this season, Martin Odegaard has now got 10 goals and seven assists in 26 games. So he's played 10 games less in the Premier League so far this season. And he's on 17 goal contributions. That is pretty impressive. It really, really is. And he continues to develop, continues to lead, continues to set the example week in, week out. And, you know, I'm so proud of him. Um, I'm so proud of him being our captain at the moment. Uh, let's talk, or well, we've talked Xhaka already, so I won't go into that one again. We've talked Martinelli already. We've spoken a little bit about Saka, maybe just being a little bit below the level. Um, and we've waxed lyrical about Leandro Trossard pretty much since this episode begun. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of it in terms of my thoughts. You know, it's it's about resetting now. It's about uh, shifting our focus to the Europa League, of course, where we still have work to do. I expect there to be multiple changes. You know, I think that's uh, something that Mikel Arteta intends to do. Uh, how heavy he'll go on the rotational front, I don't know. Maybe being at home will make him feel a little bit more comfortable in some of those fringe players. Um, and, and maybe he'll think that if he keeps some of the big boys on the bench, if things go south, he has the ability and the potential to turn those around. Uh, yeah, um, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of you guys' thoughts from the live chat. I'd love to hear from you. So if you've got a question, chuck it into uh, the chat box and I'll get over to those in just a second. Quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you are brand spanking new. Uh, as we make our way forward towards 30,000 here on YouTube, but um, plenty, plenty more in the audio space as well. Really chuffed to see uh, that we managed to hit 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts, uh, which we wanted to get to for a little while. It just felt like it was going so slow. But if you can help us now push towards the next goal, the more reviews on Apple, the better. Um, and I know there are a lot of you that listen to us via Apple but that haven't left the review yet. So please, please do that. Five stars, obviously. Leave a comment too, if you like, as we um, as we uh, start to collect those. Because, yeah, they really do help. And it's nice to read you guys' comments. You know, tell me what you think's working well, 
with a five-star review, obviously, but feel free to put any suggestions in the comment, as long as you still give us five stars, obviously. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, what else we've got? Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Let's see this uh, from Mike, who says, liking Vieira's development, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, me too. I sort of had this conversation quite a bit over the last few days. I feel like he's starting to come into his own, starting to feel a lot more confident. Um, he's not quite the same type of player as Odegaard, although they like to operate in similar areas of the pitch. I don't think they're very similar at all. I think that Odegaard probably passes more often, and that's not the way that come out was as if I'm saying Fabio Vieira is this greedy shit that doesn't pass. That's not what I'm saying. Martin Odegaard is a little bit more of a tempo setter. He's a little bit more of the type of player that will create the rhythm and that will press and that will win you the ball back and, and all of those things. Fabio Vieira, I'm sure, will add a lot of that to his game. But at this moment in time, he is uh, a little bit more individualistic. He does take shots on early. He does um, sort of think about getting into goal-scoring positions himself, perhaps more than Odegaard did previously, although he's improved in that sense a lot. Um, but yeah, they're, they're different, but equally as talented, I think. And, and I'm really excited by uh, how things are going to develop uh, with this uh, young player because, yeah, um, yeah, I just I just really like watching him. And, and you know, he's a he's a gooner and that's obviously great. But outside of that, I just I just love watching the way he sort of struts around the pitch. And, and some of the touches are superb, aren't they? A uh, big happy birthday shout out to Selgaeus, one of our uh, regulars uh, in the live section. He says, what a way to end my birthday weekend with a stunning win. Happy birthday to you, mate. Hope you had uh, a really, really good one. Um, any more questions? Any more thoughts? Uh, Wondering Minstrel says, does Balogun come back next year? Got another goal tonight following Balogun, as far as I know, at the time of recording. 16th, I think, in Ligue 1 so far this season that is a pretty impressive return does he come back to arsenal i think he'll come back in pre-season and he'll be given the opportunity to impress he'll be given the opportunity um to show what he can do uh probably in friendlies and training etc etc um but this is the beauty of of successful loan spells because now arsenal are in a position where they can do one of two things they can either look at the player decide that he'll be a help to them and can play a role in this squad and keep hold of him. Or uh, they will look at him as someone that maybe they feel as good as he is, as talented as he is, just may not make the grade at Arsenal. And on top of that, we've got uh, multiple alternative options. And they might decide to sell him. But obviously, if you've scored 16 league earned goals and you're flying over there, your value now is much greater. And it makes it much easier to sell you and for a profit that can then be reinvested back into the squad. I mean, for argument's sake, if somebody came up to me now, if I were asking the football club and said, how much do you want for Balogun? I'd say 40 million straight away, 40 million pounds. Why? Because he's young. And very often in transfer windows, we're not selling players. We're selling potential. We're selling hypotheticals around how they might perform. Well, Balogun's someone that we can really build up the hypotheticals around, but we can also point to his goal return in Liga in this season as backup, as supporting evidence. And I think that enables you to then go out and get a much better fee. Um, Richie says, player of the year for me is Martinelli. What are your thoughts? There's a few, man. It's really hard. Like, 
we'll do a show around this, I'm sure, towards the end of the season. But um, there's a few candidates for me. Odegaard's definitely up there. Um, Zinchenko's there. Uh, Saka's there. Martinelli's there. Um, Jesus would have been there um, had he stayed fit. Partey's been amazing. Like, there's so many. Um, names that you can throw into that hat. I wouldn't want to pick an individual at this point, but um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't begrudge anybody saying uh, Martinelli. I uh, wouldn't begrudge that at all. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Anuj says, Partey was brilliant. Jesus looked good. The first team is complete. We have a good bench now. Do you think we can beat City away? We can. It's not impossible. Do I think we will? Not sure at this point. It's going to be really, really tough. It's a tough game. There'll be a lot riding on it for Manchester City. What I'm kind of hoping is that Manchester City's almost obsession or desperation to win the Champions League is going to work as uh, as something that benefits us. It's going to work out to um, to do us good because of maybe the fact that they'll have a lot of games. They might fall behind in terms of fixtures because of their involvement in the FA Cup and the Champions League. And then if we can get the points on the board, yeah, they'll have game in hand, uh, games in hand, but the pressure will be on them. And if they're under pressure, um, you know, I know they've shown they can deal with it in the past, but obviously that makes it more likely that they slip up. And and so, yeah, I, what I don't want is that game to be billed as this massive title decider um, because I don't think actually that that game is going to decide the title. I think some of the fixtures around that uh, particular time are going to decide it um, at the end of the day. A uh, big hello to T who says, hi, Harry, was thrilled to see you on Premier League TV today uh, via Sida Vision in Cyprus. Thank you very much. Uh, that's the feature that I did with uh, Premier League Productions. Looking back on the Bournemouth game and then uh, previewing today's game, uh, which was put out on the world feeds uh, over the weekend. So, um, yeah, good to see that somebody watched it. <laughs> nice one, man. Thank you uh, very, very much. Um what else have we got? Uh, I'm going to take a couple more, um, but then I am going to run because I'm, it is tired. It is late. Look, I'm I'm saying it is tired instead of it is late. That's how you know it is late. Uh, we're coming up to 11 p.m. here in the UK at the moment. Um, Gun Deckigan says, Harry, which of our remaining games worry you the most? As in, which one is the hardest for us to win? I think City away is the hardest for one for us to win. And then Liverpool away as well. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be easy games. And, and I'm kind of hoping Liverpool take some points from Manchester City uh, in the upcoming fixture as well. That would be handy. Um, but yeah, City and Liverpool are the two that really worry me. Newcastle away is a game that I think we can at least get a point in at minimum. I, I don't look at Newcastle right now and fear them in the same way I might have done three or four months ago. They've they won today, obviously. That's a positive for them. But I think they've gone five or six without a win prior to that. So, you know, they've not been in the best of shape. They've had some injuries. Uh, the, the the failing in the Carabao Cup final would have had some impact and effect as well. Um, and yeah, look, we are uh, we are where we are. Um, yeah, I mean, look, let's just take it one game at a time. You know, at the moment, we've got 11 to go. Uh, we don't need to win every single one. And we might get away with dropping a few points, actually, depending on how Manchester City get on as well. So you've got to assess this from week to week. It's really difficult to kind of make forecasts and um, and look at these games. You don't know what's going to happen in these games, you know. Um, you know, City, 
could be really far into the Champions League. And, and we know that, you know, Pep Guardiola has overcomplicated things as a coach at times. We know that he's obsessed with, um, uh, you know, he's obsessed with winning that competition with this club. He wants to round off the collection, if you like. And he may come to a point where he looks at it, if for argument's sake, they're in the Champions League semi-final. He may look at Arsenal and think, well, the chances of them dropping enough points, depending on what the gap is at that point, to let us back in are not very high. And so we need to prioritise the Champions League. Maybe that's the way you'll look at it. You just don't know. And that's why you need to assess this all from week to week. OK, I am going to leave it there because there's a lot of you, as a lot of you pointed out in the chat, I am bloody shattered. Um, you can probably see it in my eyes. And, and when you're doing a, a stream and you put these lights on to kind of lighten up the picture a little bit, man, they kill your eyes after a while. I've got a pair of contact lenses in that need binning. I'm shattered. I'm tired. I need to go to bed. But when I do go to bed, I'll be going to bed with a massive smile on my face. Why? Because Arsenal are five points clear of Manchester City again uh, at the top of the Premier League, despite them shutting that gap yesterday to just two points. Arsenal um, will continue uh, on this journey for a little bit longer, at least. Uh, it's the hope that kills you, so do be uh, mindful of that. But if you're not excited at this point, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? I'll see you all tomorrow uh, with some more content. We'll be back on Tuesday as well as we start to look ahead to the game against Sporting on Thursday. And, uh, and of course, uh, come Friday, we'll be looking ahead to the weekend's game against Crystal Palace. So lots more content to come your way this week. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and I will see you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.